listening to Mint Condition with Brad Slater, a sports card podcast for the collector by a collector. What's going on? Episode three, Mint Condition coming at you. It was a good week. Not a great week like my last week with cards, but it was an okay week. Got a card show this weekend. Talk a little bit about that. Getting ready for a card show. What do you do? How do you prep? What do you do? Are you scared? You want to have one? You want to partake in one? I'll tell you what to do. Joining me on the show today will be Michael Landsberg, host of Off the Record for 18 seasons on TSN. Over 4,000 episodes. He's talked to some of the biggest, most influential people in the world. And he's going to join me today to talk about mental health. It's going to be a little bit of a different show today. But we will talk cards. Don't worry. All right. So the week that was, saw the release we had of NHL Allure came out yesterday. We had Bowman Inception Baseball come out this past week. And NHL, the cup is still everywhere. Everyone's doing that online with breaks and they're buying it. But uh, for cards, a little bit of a quiet week for myself. I uh, a few purchases on eBay. Nothing too crazy. Um, but I finally picked up my Alexis Lafreniere rookie booklet patch to three Adidas patch. Thing's beautiful. I have a picture of it up on my website. You can check it out at mycardsaremint.com. If you got a card as well, I asked you last week, send me a picture on Twitter or email me at my cards are mint or to email it into me, a photo, any card. So I will have some winners to announce later on in the show. But for now, we're going to kick the show off this week with our guest of the week. You're listening to Mint Condition. My guest this week was the host of one of the most successful sports talk shows in history. He was the host of TSN's Off the Record for more than 18 seasons. He's now using his voice as a mental health advisor. He's the founder of Sick Knock Week. He is my friend, Michael Landsberg. Michael, how are you? Dude, I'm, uh, I'm great. Thank you for that kind introduction and uh, glad to be talking to you. It's been, I think, uh, 15 years since we, uh, we first met and we first talked. And I believe I had you on Mike Richards' uh, birthday show back in 2011. So I have to apologize for you know getting you up at 8.30 in the morning to come on that show. So sorry about that. Well, I thought you were going to apologize for having me on Mike Richards' show, but uh, I guess I guess that would be a different topic. Uh, hey, I ended up finishing my uh, time at TSN doing morning radio, so waking up at eight thirty was, uh, I think, was pretty luxurious for me. Yeah, but you had Dave Naylor beside you, so you had a wingman that was, you know, you could, you know, not mail it in every day, but you know, he always would be there to have your back. When it was me and Mike, you know, it'd be five fifty-five in the morning, and we'd be on air at six. And the hotline would flash, and he'd be doing 140 down uh, the Deerfoot. Oh, God. Play promos, play promos, play promos. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, I, I bet you have uh, a whole bunch of those stories. But um, that, uh, I'm happy to say I enjoyed uh, doing radio. I didn't enjoy doing mornings, uh, really. It's a, t- it's a tough life, I don't have to tell you. And it's not good, in particular, for mental health. No, it's not. Now, since your, your time at TSN, wh- how have you been spending your time, Michael, and what have you been doing? I, I guess I, you might say I, I'm talking wall-to-wall mental health. 
Uh, I have uh, a charity my daughter and I started called the Sick Not Weak Charitable Foundation. Um, you know, I'm kind of working that all the time. I speak on behalf of the charity all the time. I'll go to different places. And obviously during the pandemic, they was all virtual. Uh, and it's sometimes when I get hired by corporations, I, I, I get hired to go to corporations and talk about mental health and changing the culture uh, and, and really try to create an environment that uh, people can find their way out of a mental health hole. And that is so important uh, at virtually every company. So, you know, I, I, I now talk about it and write about it and speak about it. And that's kind of what I'm doing. And I'm, I, I mean, I've had a couple of projects that I'm working on um, that will sort of further um, what I'm doing in that business or in that world. But for the most part, just talking mental health like I'm talking with you. When did you start realizing that you could use your voice for power when it came to mental health? Was there a moment in your career, an interview, a guest, or someone that you had on that, that maybe it just, everything clicked that day? Yeah, I mean, it, it is... Uh, uh, I mean, it was pretty obvious, and it dates back to like one single show, uh, a sequence of events. First of all, 2008, I had had the worst year of my life. I actually have a tattoo on my arm. It says 112408YULMH5210400, uh, which represents uh, November 24, 2008, Montreal Marriott Hotel. Uh, room 521 at 4 a.m. in the morning. That was the low point for me. And at that point, I understood why people take their own lives. And, and really, to sum it up, I had just, I was just in so much pain for so long. I was so worn down by the only purpose of my day was to get through my day. Uh, and a year later, I was doing better. Uh, I was back, uh, I got treatment, and I was doing a lot better. And there happened to be a guest on Off the Record named Stefan Richet. Uh, Stefan Richet, uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, scored 50 goals for Montreal, scored 50 goals for the Devils, Rookie of the Year. Like, he, he was a big deal. And I had read that he had battled depression in the 1990s. I'd never spoken about my battle with depression or anxiety because I thought, who would care? Like, why would it make any difference in anyone else's life? They'll just think, oh, Landsberg wants us to like him. So he's telling us this story about yeah. poor Michael Landsberg. Um, and I just didn't see a value in talking about it. So I took him out of the green room. I said, Stefan, you don't know me. You don't owe me anything. But would it be okay if I asked you how you're doing with depression? And he said, I'd rather not talk about it because it's very painful. And I said, I understand that. And uh, I'm glad I asked you in advance. But if you'll talk about it, I'll talk about it. And he said, well, what would you talk about? So I told him my story and he said, let's do it. So we went on the air. We talked for maybe 90 seconds. He talked about how nothing brought him joy in hockey, not a Stanley cup in Montreal, not rookie of the year, not 50 goals in Montreal, wow. not 50 goals in New Jersey, Stanley cup in New Jersey. None of it brought him joy because of depression. And I, I thought that was like a great explanation of what depression was. Uh, and I chimed in after that. I said, well, you know, me too. You know, we, we talked about it beforehand. I have, you know, battled many of the same things as you. I just haven't have had the successes, obviously, that you've had winning Stanley Cups. Um, but I understand that uh, loss of the ability to experience joy. Uh, and that was basically it. And then I started getting emails, uh, mostly from men 
and all of them saying essentially the same thing. They all read something like this. Hey, Michael, watching you and Stefan Riche talk about depression without shame and embarrassment and without seeming weak has empowered me to reach out to you and tell you something I've never told another human being. I, too, battle depression. But unlike you, I've never gone for help because I've been too ashamed. But that will change tomorrow. And that was my introduction into this amazing asset that I had. The worst thing in my life, which has been depression, can become one of the best things in my life because I can use it to make a difference to someone else. You're listening to Mint Condition. My guest this week is Michael Landsberg, SickNotWeek, SickNotWeek.com. And um, I've made you aware of my train accident before our, our phone call today, but isn't it crazy how depression can just take over your life? And you said something there where, like, I just didn't want to do anything. You don't want to leave your house. The strongest, like, the, the smallest task seems like like Mount Everest. And you, you just want to isolate yourself from your friends um, from basically everything. And that's kind of why I got into sports cards because it kind of gave me that, that outlet to talk to people and just sorting sports cards is just a way that I calm my anxiety and, and help myself. But, uh, how did you find it? And did you find anything that would keep you occupied when you were having, you know, your bad days? Yeah. I mean, I still have bad days, but my bad days being on medication as I am and have been since, uh, 11, 208 because I, you know, I'm treated and I have a medication or a couple of medications that, that help me. I am able to, um, to cope and play the middle, so to speak. I live my life now between a four and a seven. I never fall before below a four. So my bad days are not terrible days, but I also know never go above a seven, um, which means that my good days are never great days. And that's because of the medication. And that's a deal I'm willing to make. It's, it's like, okay, I, I don't want to lose the top range of how I can feel. I don't want to be numb to many feelings, but I would rather have that than the illness. I have learned to love the thing I hate the least and the thing I hate less between the meds and depression are the meds. So I take it and it prevents me from having a day um, like I had every day for a year back in 2008 and three other times in my life. So when I have a bad day now, I retreat. I, I just, you know, it's like I, I called, I call it tied to the couch syndrome. Mm -hmm. So tied to the couch syndrome uh, is, it plays out like this. You wake up in the morning uh, and you think, I feel like shit. Okay, yep. I'm just going to lie on the couch for a couple hours and I don't want to talk to anyone. I just I just want to turn on the TV or take up my iPad or read a book just to get away from everything that would obligate me to be in any way social. Uh, and then after three hours, I go, damn, I still feel like crap. And now I feel guilty because all I've done is live on the couch. I haven't done anything. And that can go on for an extended period of time. So your illness feeds your illness. You start to feel guilty about the fact that you don't feel well enough to get up. And that is a huge issue for many of us. Do you think the word weak is why the main contributing factor, why men don't like to talk about mental health or their own mental health? Is it that word that weak, they, they think it makes them lesser of a person, lesser of a man. If they talk about their feelings or say, you know what, I'm, I'm not having a good day. Why, why is it so hard for men to talk about 
Well, I, I think that the uh, the stigma around mental illness, which is still devastating, I think it's really based on the idea that mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, are not real illnesses. That somehow they are self-inflicted. That somehow because we're not strong enough to suck it up and go on with our lives and get off the couch and get out of bed, because we're not strong enough to do that, we call it depression. And that perception of weakness is devastating because no one wants to be seen as weak. Nobody. So if you believe that your illness is caused by your weakness, you will not tell anyone because you don't want to be seen as weak. And that, to me, is at the heart of the stigma. And the way we beat the stigma is to convince people that a mental illness like depression or anxiety is not a weakness. It's a sickness. That's why we call our charity Sick Not Weak. I mean, people get mad. They say, oh, well, why do you want to be known as sick? And it's like, well, you got to pick something here. I got all these symptoms. I got this battle going on. If it's not a sickness, what is it? And it's not a weakness. Tell me, what is it? And there's no answer to that. So, yes, I do see it as that. Now, when it comes to social media, we're talking about how positive it can be, but look how bad it can be in, you know, waking up every day and, you know, you're sitting there and you're scrolling through TikTok or, or Twitter and it's negative story this, negative story that. That can put you in a negative mindset and that can just take over your whole day. So do you see social media as a positive or a negative when it comes to, you know, maintaining a healthy mental health? Okay, for me, it would be a positive. I've been able to use social media as a platform to get the, you know, the whole idea of sick, not weak out there. There's, you know, tons of people that I can reach that I would never have a, a way to reach them. Uh, and using the hashtag sick, not weak, I think, you know, is really healthy for people because people will respond to them when they say, oh, you know, I need someone to, you know, I need someone to talk to me who understands me. That's hugely valuable. But then there's the whole negative side, obviously, of social media, where it can be weaponized and where um, where somebody who has any kind of mental health challenge, it can be exacerbated because there's mean pricks out there oh, yeah. who want to exacerbate it. So, you know, I, I think all in all, social media is uh, it's probably done less than it's done positive or it's done more crap than positive but for me it's been a positive thing so i want to go back to uh, november 24th just for a quick second because i i found it mind-boggling that i had met you for the first time on november uh, 14th so i met you 10 days before before the night in montreal there and it just scares me to death because you can't see it in people and that's like until i had it happen like experience it in my life and i've been dealing with it you, you can't see it in people. People seem just like they're normal. They seem, you seemed so happy and confident uh, and were such a pleasure to talk to that night that I had no idea that that was going on with you. And, and it's just, it's just mind boggling how people can hide it. It is. Uh, and it's, it's a skill that everybody with depression in particular or, or anxiety uh, almost everybody, but almost everybody develops this skill where you get really good at showing people. Not, now, you got to process what I'm saying because it's kind of complicated. You don't show people what you're feeling. You show people what you think they want to see in you. Yeah. So think about that. You're in a room and you feel like like crap, right? You, you, know, you, you just can't wait to get out of that room. You have no self-esteem at that point. You don't believe in yourself. You're humiliated because, you know, you just think that um, everyone's looking at you 
um, differently, whatever it is you're in that room to do, you're doing it terribly in your mind, but you don't show that. So you think to yourself, what do people want to see in me? And you come up with it and that's what you show them. And I tell parents all the time, if you think that you can know that your kid, for instance, is, is, is struggling with mental illness, if you think you're going to know it, you may be wrong. I mean, sometimes you can, and some people will show it. But if we want to cover it up, we can. The problem is, it doesn't do you any good, and it's exhausting. So I obviously covered it up, doing off the record every day throughout, say, 2008. Uh, obviously, I was not showing people what I was feeling, but I was showing people what I thought they wanted to see in me. Uh, but when I got home, I would take down the mask and just act the way I felt. Uh, and it's really, really exhausting to try to carry that on. If you don't have a place that you can say, this is my, this is my holiday from the pain of acting. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have that place, uh, you're in real trouble because uh, it's exhausting to try to pretend that you're someone that you're not. Now, what do you remember, uh, if anything, it had to be a great conversation. I, I tell everyone the story, but the night you and I met at the Renaissance Hotel was after a Raptors game. I had been flown into Toronto uh, to interview for a position on your show. Uh, I got to the airport. It was the first time I had ever seen someone holding a name uh, with a card with my name on it. I got like the, the limousine drive to downtown Toronto, wined and dined. I got a hotel room and they took me down. I did the interview. And then uh, the two producers that were working for you at the time were like, hey, we got these Raptor seats. You, you want to go to the game tonight? It's just one ticket, but, you know, it's a Raptor game. So I ended up going to the Raptor game, Mike, and sitting two seats down from me was Mike Myers because he was there filming The Love Guru. So I'm sitting there two seats away from Mike Myers, and my phone rings, and it was the producer, and he's, I don't know, 9 o'clock at night, and he says that uh, Mr. Landsberg would like to meet with you at 10.30 at the hotel. I'm like, Okay. Okay. Well, let's. Okay. So, so just so we we confirm here, uh, he did not call me Mr. Landsberg. Nobody calls me Mr. Landsberg. Um, so yes, continue, please. Okay. He said uh, Michael would like to meet with you at uh, ten thirty if that works for you. And of course, I'm not going to say anything. I'm like, I already left the game as soon as I saw the message. So uh, I went back to the hotel. I went upstairs to my room and I came down. And you were already there. You were se seated. And I have to say, I was very intimidated walking up, um, but you made it really easy, and it was a really com fun conversation. And then I think the next thing I knew, it was 1.30 in the morning, and you're like, hey, I got to get home. And I'm, I had a flight in like five hours to come back home too. So, uh, no, that was that was a very fun day and a very fun conversation, uh, Mike. So let me ask you this. What was uh, – and, and you, you have to be open and candid. Um, first of all, you should be, but second of all, because – you know, I've heard it all. I know how I was perceived by a certain sector of the audience. So before before you sat down uh, and met me and we started talking, what was your perception of me? What did you think I was going to be like? Confident. Confident and friendly. Because, Good. But the way that you said it now, the, as soon as I got home the next day, is, is he as arrogant as he comes across on TV? He's really yes. cocky, isn't he? Yes. And as soon as I'm like, no, I'm like, and I had to explain to them, I'm like, no, it's just persona. Like, he's an incredible person. And sure, when you were sitting there, you had your arms crossed because you had your phone. Like, you were, you, but you are a very intimidating person to approach. Because look, you're Michael Landsberg, 4,000 episodes of Off the Record. You're sitting with Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Chael Sonnen wants to attack you. 
and I'm yeah. and I'm sitting down with you. Like it was just, uh, it was a thrill. It was a real thrill. You know, and uh, you it were was so a nice. thrill for me. Okay, maybe not a thrill for me, but I like meeting you. Uh, and uh, I, I, the story you just told about how when you got back, people were asking you, you know, is he arrogant? I, I, I mean, I would say three days a week, if a guest was coming back and had been on before, the reaction I would get would be, oh my god. When, when, you know, my friends saw that I was on the show or knew that I was on the show, the first thing they would say is, is Landsberg a dick? And, and because I, I, I'm not, right? I'm, no. I'm pretty sure that I was never rude to a single human being who was a guest on the show. I may have asked questions that people thought were rude, but in terms of how I treated people, like in the green room beforehand or just in general, was never rude to anyone. I'm never rude to people, period. If you ask my my wife and my kids, if you said, how many times have you seen Michael be rude to someone? I think the answer would be two in all of my life. And yet I was perceived as being this, this arrogant person who, um, who had this strut. And it never bothered me because I thought, who cares? I don't care what people think of me. I'm not making friends with the audience. I just want people to watch. But I really, I think it worked out really well for me in terms of that perception and making me a mental health advocate because I was not the guy that anyone imagined was battling depression because people don't see arrogance and depression going together. They don't see cockiness, you know, that strut matching up with depression. So when I came out and said, you know, like I've had really serious depression, um, off and on for the last, I guess at that point, it was the last 10 years, um, devastating to the point where, you know, I, I didn't know whether I could still go on. People would say, no way, come on, not you. Uh, and I said, well, okay, here's the point. The point is you don't know who's struggling. You don't know who's acting. You don't know who's feeding you lines that they think you want to hear. Uh, and that in itself is a hugely important lesson. That's so interesting, and I was watching a lot of your interviews before I had you on today, and I want to go back to your interview with Dwayne Johnson. Everyone up to that date, anything he'd ever done, he had done it as The Rock. I want to say you were the first interview that he was Dwayne. And I think when he realized that, probably when he got there that day and he spoke with you or your producer beforehand, I bet you he, he was so comfortable and so relaxed because you know what? It wasn't like everybody else. And that's what made your show so great was... You didn't ask the questions everybody else did. You asked the questions that everybody wanted you to ask that no one did. And that's what made your show so incredible. Thanks, man. But, uh, I, you know, the answer is that we were a legit show uh, and we wanted to do legit interviews. And you can't do a legit interview with a character. So you can't, you can't do a legit interview with uh, um, the rock, if he's the rock talking to him about, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, hey, what uh, can you, you know, like the whole, all the lines that he had, yeah, yeah. you know, playing into that character, like that wouldn't be interviewing a person. It wouldn't teach anyone anything. You can't, you, you can't interview Bret Hart and talk to the hitman. You don't want to interview St Steve Austin and talk to stone cold. That's ridiculous. It's like interviewing someone from a movie and they assumed the role that they played in the movie. Like who would want that? No. Speaking with Michael Landsberg no. here and uh, Michael, I got to ask also, uh, you were always in control of your interviews and that's what uh, I think you were, were so proud of with yourself too. It just, you always had control. Now in 1998, Vince McMahon shows up at the studio, Montreal, 1997 screw job. had just happened in Montreal. How did you approach that interview 
with a guy so confident as Vince McMahon, and go, go back to your last point, if you were arrogant and cocky, Vince McMahon wouldn't have come on your show because Vince McMahon did no interviews back then. And the day he came on your show, it was like, what? Like, it was all over. Like, that was the internet was starting then, right? So, like, that was maybe yeah. like the first thing, like, like the buzz, right? But how did you, to get back to that, how did you take control of that, that interview beforehand? Okay. Well, first of all, I had, uh, I, I had two people uh, helping me plan out the interview uh, because I was not a wrestling fan. Uh, but it's funny, still to this day, people go, oh, Lansford, you loved your wrestling. It was like, oh, no, I didn't. But I loved talking to wrestlers because they were fascinating and because they brought us this massive audience. But so I had uh, Jeff Merrick, who you would see on, on Sportsnet uh, um, hosting hockey. He hosted a show called Live Audio Wrestling. Wow. And he was the most, yeah, he was the most knowledgeable wrestling person in probably in the world. Um, and he, he had information about guys. He knew guys. He got, he got behind the scenes stuff that was so useful to us. Made me look like I was a genius when it came to wrestling. You know, I remember saying to The Undertaker, hey, uh, you know, is it true that you had backstage um, with Shawn Michaels that you looked him in the eyes and you told him to get back out? It was a house show and Shawn Michaels yeah. hadn't done the job for Vince. Is it, you know, that you looked at him and said, you get back out there or right now I'm going to kick your ass. And he said, like, dude, how'd you know that? And that's what you want to hear um, because you just said something that other people haven't said. And that was 100 percent Jeff Merritt, 100 percent. So I executed those shows. And to, to get back to your question uh, about Vince McMahon, we were in uh, the makeup room. He was in the makeup chair and he said something. This is the first time I'd met him. Right. Uh, I, he said something and I made a sort of typical Landsberg, a smart ass remark back to him. And it may have been a throwaway for him, but for me, it was like, this is what's going on in my head. Oh my gosh. You just smart ass Vince McMahon. Like you're being yourself around him. Because that's a challenge, right? If you're intimidated by a guest, it's very difficult to do the kind of interviews that we wanted to do. So I went into that interview. It's funny how I don't think I've ever told that story, but I went into that interview like with the confidence of, yeah, you know, I, 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 can, I can do this. I can be me. Uh, and I think that was probably the episode where we were talking about the screw job. Yep. Uh, and uh, so I said to Vince, did you screw Brett? And he said, Brett screwed Brett. And I said, okay, I don't understand, but you told him in advance that it was going to be a draw, right? Because you didn't want him to, you know, to leave with the title, right? Yeah, go to WCW. Yeah. Right. So he said, yeah, I told him that. I said, but then it wasn't a draw. He lost and you were the one who told the ref to count him out. He goes, yeah, that's true. So I went, I don't understand. So you say you told him one thing and then you did another. Isn't that lying to Brett? So when Brett says you screwed him, isn't that true? And eventually he went, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. And it was like, wow, that was fun. And it led but to, let me, to another, another interview, right? You got them and the whole family together too. Yeah. Like we did, I like with Vince, probably five, six interviews because, you know, like he had done tons of mainstream interviews and everyone treated him like he was, you know, a circus 
uh, you know, like it was a sideshow, like he was talking to Barnum and Bailey. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he liked the fact that we took it seriously, that we worked hard, you know, to ask questions that people were interested in. And I think he thought and realized that it was really healthy for his company to have uh, human beings talk about themselves outside of their characters. So uh, it worked out amazing for us. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the time, I, th- I think it was pretty good for, for WWF back then. Now, you also said that there was a holiday in Canada one day, and you guys were like, what are we going to run today? Everyone's off. Everyone's off. What are we going to do? What are yeah. we going to do? What did they ask you to do? What did they, what did they decide on running that day? Well, we were going to play a, a, like a repeat. They call it alternate viewing opportunities, but we were going we to play an old show. Uh, and we decided, ah, let's just throw up the Stone Cold show uh, because uh, it had already been on four times. Uh, and we thought, eh, just play it. And it drew... 450,000 people at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And that is ridiculous. Yep. So just to give you a hint now at 6 p.m. Eastern time, TSN would probably do 35,000 people. 450,000 people watched that. And they watched that because Steve Austin was talking about Steve Austin because you saw, you learned something about him that you never knew before. I don't remember what I learned, but I remember that I didn't ask him a single question about his character. I asked him questions about his him. And that was so compelling. And we were so lucky to have that given to us. I mean, you could try for a million years to get Steve Austin back in the day on your show uh, if you were another network trying to get him on. And it would never happen. But when Vince says, I want my guys to, you know, to um, do this show, all of a sudden, life is really, really different. So uh, it was crazy how um, wrestling is the only portable audience that exists. And by that, I mean, you you can't say, oh, my God, uh, you know, coming up on Monday, we are going to talk hockey. And oh, my God, we have got, you know, uh, the ghost of Maurice the Rocket Richard. We've got Guy Lafleur, obviously, who was alive at the time, and Bobby Orr all together on Monday. We would have gotten, you know, 100,000 people, like a typical audience for us back then. Um, Because hockey audiences are not portable. It's not like you're offering them something unique. But if you tell a wrestling fan that he or she can watch their uh, a wrestler that they either love or hate, it doesn't matter, you, they can watch this person out of character for a half hour, they will find you. It's just crazy. Wrestling fans are like, uh, they love it, and they, they'll find it wherever it is. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you one more question about Off the Record. Over 4,000 shows, is there a guest that stands out as one of your favorites? And is there a guest that you would go to your producer afterwards and be like, yeah, let's not have him back or her back? Yeah, well, I, I would say there was uh, uh, the not have him back was I'll answer first. Mine was Daniel Negrano. I had a terrible experience with him, and uh, I don't think oh. I would ever book him again for anything. We had him on for a charity, a charity piece he was doing in Calgary, uh, eight thirty in the morning, so ten thirty his time, and every answer was yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Mike just hung up on him. 
okay. Yeah, uh, Daniel Legrandu actually was on, I don't know, five or six. Oh, no, months. Daniel was on uh, yours a lot. Daniel was great on your yeah. show, but yeah. Yeah, he was, but I, I think that part of the reason was, you know, maybe the time of day, but also he'd watched TSN all his life. So it was a big deal for him to be on TSN, right? And I think we put him on with equally famous people. So he didn't want to, uh, he didn't want to embarrass him. He did, he wanted to be the best guy on the set. But to answer your question, who did I hate the most? My like or dislike for a guest had nothing to do with whether I liked the guest or whether I hated the guest. The, the only definition was if a guest gives us a good performance. Like, if we get a really good show out of them, I love that guest. Even though it may be a total jackass, totally rude to me, totally condescending, didn't say a word to me before the show or after the show, but during the show, he was great. I love that guest. But having said that, if a guy was a really super guy and we get on the air and he stinks, I don't want him back. Yeah. And we all knew it. Like, like there was these times where, uh, like, when a guest would really pitch a no-hitter, um, where, you know, he'd be on for a half hour show. And this was somebody who, uh, in general had no measure of fame, but we had to fill four seats every day. Um, very often, like we would all know it. And the guest booker who booked him, probably Todd Hayes back in those days, yep. Todd Hayes would go to me like afterwards and we all huddle around and he'd go, Oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe how bad that guy was. Uh, we we had a we had a, an actor once who didn't say a word first the three blo- for, through the first three blocks of the show. So we had three commercial breaks. So at the end, uh, as I'm throwing to commercial break number three, I say, "Stay win- with us. When we return, we'll find out if Lindsay, that was his name, still has a pulse." Oh. That's next on OGR, uh, and it was okay. so great because. Because he said to me, um, so we came back and uh, he's talked, I say, so what, he was an actor. So what are you up to? And he's giving me the answer, but he's also got his middle finger up as he's oh. scratching his face. The old sign So I look at him and I say, dude, I love that. I love that. And now all of a sudden you have rescued your reputation with OTR. You have given us a great moment. I was rude to you. <clears throat> and you basically said, screw you to me. I love that. Uh, you know, I, I remember saying that to uh, uh, Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee was a guest twice on Off the Record. The second time, he, uh, the first time he was on, uh, we went to the first commercial break, and he said, uh, dude, I love the show. And I said to him, dude, if you love the show, you should talk on the show. He hasn't said a word yet. He's just sitting there with a grin, I think, probably thinking, God, I I don't know anything about what these people are talking about. And we had a guest once who started crying in the green room. So I uh, typically what would happen is I would go through the topics for the show and I would tell people what was expected of them on the show. Like I would say, okay, well, you know, we got to figure out who wants to talk first. Yeah. And, uh, and then it would be, okay, you're going to talk first. Who wants to disagree with him? Because, you know, agreement, you can kill a show, right? Everybody agrees. Um, it's so, like, oh yeah. Yeah. So we would, you know, we would, sort of create the flow of the show, which by the way, was like this amazing experience for me. I get to, I get to coach like famous directors, like Spike Lee's a guest on off the record. And I'm saying Spike, okay, you know, which way are you going on this? And I'm thinking, wow, in what world would this happen? <laughs> so uh, we had this race car driver. Uh, it was cast car. And I go through the topics and I say, okay, uh, let's, uh, let's, Let's leave the green room now. Let's go down to the studio. 
So everybody walked out, and he says to me, uh, this cast car driver, I go, hey, what, what? He was like whispering me. He said, hang on for a sec. Oh, no. I go, okay. Everyone leaves the room. He goes, I can't, you can't, I can't, I can't do it. Oh, I no. go, you can't, do, you can't do what? He goes, I, I can't do this show. I'm, I, I'm just, I, 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 I'm just, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to know anything. I'm going to make a fool of myself. And he's crying. Oh, so I tried the nice cop thing, which was, dude, I got your back, which I would say all the time to guests. I got your back. My goal is to make you look good so you can be nice and relaxed, okay? And this will be a good experience. Yeah, no lean matter on what me. you say. Lean on me. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, I got you. Absolutely. He goes, no, I still can't do it. And then it got to the point where I said, dude, there's five chairs on the set. I will take one of them. The other three guests will take three more. That means there's four people for five chairs. You will fill that fifth chair. Whether you say a word on the show or not, your obligation to us at this point is to sit in the chair. And he said, okay, fair enough. And he was as bad as you would have thought he was yeah. going to be. Uh, but you got through it, right? And then you had a meeting with Todd afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but and he and this guy wanted to come on the show. Like you, you get a, a lot of people who go, yeah, you got to put me on the show. You know, someone needs to tear you down a you know a notch, Landsberg, and I'll go, oh, hey, yeah. bring it on. Yeah. You know, but the problem is for most people, that's my home territory, right? You know, first of all, TV is my home territory, so I'm totally comfortable. I'm totally comfortable in the surroundings, uh, and you know, I'm a professional talker. So if you want to come on. And, and embarrass me because you can beat me in an argument, I say, first of all, give it a try. And second of all, if I win, and I win because I won, and if you win, I win because it's good TV. So it was like, you know, you can't lose. Mint Condition, I'm speaking with Michael Landsberg. You can check him out at sicknotweek.com, hashtag sicknotweek on Twitter. Michael, I want to thank you for joining me. What does 2023 have in hold for Sick Not Week? Uh, well, I, I don't know about Sick Not, I mean, Sick Not Week will still remain kind of small uh, and, you know, trying to make a difference in people's lives one at a time. And the goal that I have every day when I talk about mental health is to explain to people one of two things. Either you're battling a mental illness, uh, try to explain to them how they can not self-diagnose, but how they can give some thought to their mental health and uh, perhaps come to the conclusion that, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'm not living my best life. So my goal is to show people what a mental illness is and have them perhaps come to that conclusion. The second thing is, if they battle a mental illness, I want them to feel like they are understood. And the power of feeling understood is extraordinary. You know, we talk all the time, you know, people say you're never alone. Well, that's bullshit. You are alone. We all fight illnesses alone. You know, you can go for chemotherapy and sit beside a friend, but you're still battling the illness on your own. But when someone understands you, it can be really liberating. So I want to show people who uh, are going through the same sorts of things that we all go through them in the same way and that they are understood. But the third group, the biggest group, are people that have never battled a mental illness and currently are not battling a mental illness, but they care about someone with a mental illness. And the sick not weak goal is to show them that they don't understand what that person is going through and that they need to appreciate that and stop making suggestions like go for a nice walk. 
All you have to do to take that next step as being a caregiver is to admit, I don't understand. And if you do that, immediately you make life better for both you and the person you care about. Michael, this has been so much fun, and I hope we don't have to wait 15 years before we can talk again because uh, I think our voices combined are going to help a lot of people, and I think we need to start getting men out there talking and being aware of their mental health and not being scared to talk about it. I actually really enjoyed it. Thank you, man. I, I mean, I, I said in advance to my wife, this is really going to suck. He's going to be a crappy host. I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm kidding. And, and for uh, the record, I, I did get the job back in the day. I just couldn't move at that time and state of my life. Yeah. So just for the record, I did get the job with you. And I just couldn't move at that time. So I did hit yeah. a home run. So Yeah. I, yeah, I thought uh, from what I can remember, uh, I don't remember. It's funny. You don't remember a conversation but you remember what you thought about the conversation. And I'll wrap up this by saying, you don't remember what an illness feels like. Like for me, 112408, I can't, I can't relive that pain. A woman can't relive the pain of giving birth to a child, right? But we can remember what we thought about the pain. So you can remember going to the dentist and thinking to yourself, oh, my God, this hurts. But you can't you can't reclaim that pain in your mouth. Um, and that's a, a really important thing, I think, to understand about mental illness, because we can forget how bad it is. And when I have a bad day, I am continually reminded this is the worst thing that I've ever experienced. Well said, bud. Thank you so much for that, Michael. That was really good. Thank you. Uh, anytime, bud. Seriously. I thought it was great. I thought you were great. Uh, really enjoyed it. Anytime. That was Michael Landsberg joining me there. Talking all things sports and mental health. Guys, we can't be scared to talk about it. Everyone's dealing with it. Everyone has it at some point in their life, some form of mental health, and we just can't be scared to talk about it. So I just want to let everyone know if you're ever in need, you need someone to talk to, my inboxes, you can direct message me. I'll, everything's confidential, of course, that's needless to say, but I'm always here to talk. If you want someone to talk to, hear you out, listen, I'm always here. Don't think that there's no one around. Don't think that you're all alone because you're not. So you can check Michael out at sicknotweek.com and Hey Landsberg on Twitter. Some amazing stuff that man's doing and using his voice and he's helping a lot of people. And he helped me just from having the conversation with me today. I told him afterwards, thank you so much. You know, you're having a bad day, something happens early on, and just talking to a guy like that, motivation, turns your day right around. So, Michael, thank you so much. He's going to be a regular. I'm going to have him on once in a while throughout the year. We'll check in, see what he's up to. But now we're going to talk cards. Now, I mentioned this weekend there's a card show. And when it comes to card shows, you got to get prepared. You got to have your prices. So you got to have your products sorted, priced by sport. So I usually go hockey, football, baseball, basketball. I'm not a basketball guy. I'm trying to get rid of them. If you want my basketball cards, message me. You can have them. But anyways, what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll soft sleeve, which is a penny sleeve, the thin ones. And I'll, I'll put a card in a penny sleeve. And if it's a dollar or less, that's all they get. So I'm going to have a box that's going to have all penny sleeve cards up, sorted by sport. And those are all going to be anywhere from 50 cents to a dollar. That's easy enough to explain when people are coming by your table. That's what you want. You want it to be easy for them to look at when they come by. Next, on the right side of my table, I got a bin with football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. But everything is priced. So anything over a dollar is going to be priced clearly so they can see. 
And that's basically it. You know, in the front of your table, you could have maybe your bigger cards, some more expensive ones, ones that you want to show off that you don't want to get rid of. Or you could just group them in pairs in front, you know. Keep your sports together. Keep your autographs together. Keep your patch cards together. Uh, make sure you got change. Nowadays, everyone's doing EMT and they're doing PayPal, but always have some change in your pocket. Uh, maybe a tablecloth and uh, you're good to go for a card show. So don't think you can't. Don't think you're scared. It's that easy. And I know the hobby spot in Leduc, the hobbyspot.ca, they got their card show coming up again at the end of the month, March 25th. I'll be out there. Come out, come say hi. If you come say hi and you say you listen to this podcast, you'll probably get some free cards. So there's more incentive to come out and say hi to me and not only check out the hobby spot because I was out there this week. I picked up a box of Topps Chrome. I picked up some packs of artifacts. And um, what else did I pick up? I opened some Allure. Uh, just some NHL uh, Series 1. I hit a few young guns. I'm still looking for my Matty Beneers. Matty Beneers for the Seattle Kraken, if you do not know. He's probably going to win the Calder Trophy this year. So if you have any products of Matty Beneers with the Seattle Kraken, you might want to hold on to him. Probably going to go up in value. Another guy that I've seen this last week in the NHL is Dawson Mercer. Plays for the New Jersey Devils. The guy had like an eight-game point streak, eight-game goal streak. Uh, he has more points than Alexis Lafreniere from their draft year. He's got more points than him in the career. I think he's only behind Tim Stutzel. So if you want another guy to buy low right now, Dawson Mercer Young Guns. Buy him low. $20, $25 right now. Get a couple of them. Hold on to him. He's a guy with his stock going up. But back to the card show. As I said, end of the month. Come say hi. I'm very friendly. And uh, I think that's about it. So you just need your cards organized. You need one set of like your lower cards, your 50 cent to a dollar cards. And then have just like a box of your price cards. You can go to 130point.com. That's 130pt.com. And that is the best search site to use for any pricing of your cards. So go to 130pt.com and just type in 2015 Connor McDavid enter. And it will bring you up all the last sold prices for the Connor McDavid card. So you can find your card. You can be more specific if you want to add your card number, what brand it's from. And uh, that's the best way to, to find out the most accurate prices for your cards and say you're buying. Say you're online and some guy's like, hey, I got this uh, Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. It's graded here and it's selling for like $300. So you should pay $300. Well, maybe go by 130point.com. Type in that Ken Griffey Jr. card and you might find it selling for $145. Now you have a screenshot. Now you can go back to that seller and be like, hey, man. I like your card. I don't like your price. This is what it's selling for. And take it or leave it kind of thing. And kind of comes across rude, but it's your money, right? Look at a pricey grocery stores and what you're spending your money on nowadays. Do you really want to be spending excess money on cards when you can just check the card, make sure you're paying the right price for it, right? See, that's what this podcast is all about. Mint Condition is here to help you, the card collector, make it easier. That's all I'm trying to do, man. So check me out at mycardsarmint.com. Follow me on Twitter at mycardsarmint. And now we have to get to the winners. So I asked you to mail in a couple of pictures of your cards over the last month. Well, actually, it was the last episode, so I can't really say month. It's been two weeks. Getting ahead of myself here, Brad. Slow down. 
So my winners for the first two mystery packs, I believe the first gentleman in, Evan Foise. He sent me in an Alexis Lafreniere Young Gun Canvas to my Twitter page. Evan, congratulations, my friend. You have yourself a mystery pack coming your way. I will be messaging you for your address. And the second winner is Chad Williams. He couldn't decide what card to send, so he just sent me a whole bunch of Seattle Mariners. And Chad Williams is the second winner of mystery pack number two this week. So again, I'm going to run this contest for another week. So all you got to do is go to at my cards are mint at my cards are mint on Twitter and just send me a picture of a card you own. That's all you got to do or log on to the old email. My cards are mint at gmail.com and be like, Hey Slater, here's my card. Shut up. Enter me in the draw. I want a mystery pack. Well, don't say shut up because, you know, it's kind of rude. But you know what I mean. So, again, thank you all for listening. I really, really appreciate it. If you like the show, if you like what you hear, send me a message. Leave me a review on Spotify, Audible, TuneIn, all those fabulous streaming sites. Let me know you like the show. Send me a message. Let me know what you want to hear on the show. And, again, I want to thank my guest today, Michael Landsberg, for joining me. That was a really good conversation. I'm glad we did it. And we're going to have many, many more here on Mint Condition. Because you know what? Sports cards matter. Mental health matters. Everyone should talk about both equally. And remember, everybody, happy sipping, happy ripping. Take care, everybody.